You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be back with you. I was, um, my wife and I were in Canada with, uh, with our family, extended family, for my, uh, my dad's memorial service. And then we got some time together, just my wife and I at way, and then we spent some extended time with our family up there in Canada. So I want to thank again those of you who continue to pray for my family as we uh, process this time of loss with my dad. Now, a few days after we left Canada, a forest fire descended on the city where my family lives. They live in Kelowna, British Columbia. And this was the place, if you saw the pictures of the fire that was uh, taking over uh, the, re- uh, the big region around that city. And so as we were driving home, we were getting updates from the fire that we had just left, and we were uh, receiving updates about the hurricane uh, coming for where we were driving to. So part of me wanted just to hunker down in the middle of that beautiful San Joaquin Valley, and, uh, and not continue towards the hurricane. But it, it, I got a real-life reminder of how hard it is to put into practice the opening words of Jesus and the verses that we're going to be talking about today. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Well, that's tough to do when there's forest fires and hurricanes that, well, turn out to be not much, but sound very scary, and many other challenges in life. And it promotes a question, and that is, so what is it that is so wrong about worrying? I mean, we, we all do it. We all worry. And it really seems reasonable given all the dangers of this world. In fact, worry appears to be a, a, prerequis- a prerequisite, a requirement for being an expert. If you're going to be an expert, you need to worry. I mean, that's, we see those two words together all the time, experts worry. It's part of what they do. You're not thinking if you're not worrying, is kind of the idea we get. Now, the problem is, is not worry itself. It's the effect that worry has on us. We don't just worry and then go on with our lives unaffected by that experience. Worry shapes us. It actually changes us. It alters our perspective on God and on life. And it changes us not for the better, but for the worse. Worry is, is not productive. It is not helpful. It does not give us hope for the future. It does not make us better. It makes us worse. And the act of worrying puts distance between us and between God. It it kind of acts like a, a bucket of water on the flame of our faith that God is trying to bring to life and to grow. Worry, in in some ways, can be considered as kind of an anti God experience. Worry says either there is no God, and that's why you need to be worried and anxious about all of the dangers in this world, or it says even if God does exist, he he really is not good enough or powerful enough to be trusted, and therefore it's up to you. You're alone. You need to worry. Now, the first word of Jesus on the topic of worry is the word therefore in these verses. Therefore, I tell you. Do not worry about your life. Now, whenever you see the word therefore, it points to words that have preceded the words that follow. So what has Jesus been saying that precedes this conversation about worry? Well, for eight weeks, we've been talking about what Jesus said before he said this word, therefore. 
What we've been looking at this summer is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verses, or chapter 5 through chapter 7. And Jesus started this topic, this sermon, by inviting ordinary people like us to join him and follow him, to be a part of what he's doing in this world. That's why we're calling this the divine conspiracy, ordinary people like us behind the scenes, joining with God and bringing about the kind of change that he is bringing in this world. And he said that for those of us who decide to follow him, we will experience the life that everyone is really seeking, and that is the blessed life, the life that is truly happy, lasting happiness. And after the invitation and the kind of list of how we will be blessed if we decide to follow him, Jesus then proceeded to talk about some of the changes that he wants to bring about in the lives of those who follow him. He intends to change the way we handle some of the big difficulties in life, how we respond to anger, how we handle lust and temptation, and how we treat other people whenever they have wronged us. Jesus intends for us to be very different from the way the world responds in these moments of darkness and pressure. And as a result of beginning to respond differently, Jesus says we are going to change our environment. We're going to be like light in the middle of darkness. We're going to begin to have an effect on our surroundings. And then after talking about this, Jesus goes on to tell us about some of the common barriers that get in the way of us really being light in this dark world, of really changing in the way that God wants us to change and we want to change. Jesus says we either get caught up in the approval of people, pursuing the approval of people, or we get caught up in the pursuit of treasures here on earth. And those aren't just hobbies for us. Those are life-consuming pursuits. And so they begin to take up so much of our time that the change and the growth and the impact that God wants us to have in this world is diminished and in some cases absolutely stopped because we're busy pursuing the approval of people and the treasures here on earth. And it's at this point, right after talking about the approval of people and where our treasure is, it's at this point Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What does worry have to do with approval and treasure? Well, it is an indicator of both of those. If you were here the last couple of weeks when we talked about approval and treasure, one of the problems you have is, well, I, I do care about what people think about me, but how do I know when I've crossed the line and I'm too concerned about the approval of others? Or I, I really do want to store up treasure in heaven. I know that this life is not all there is, but I really do need stuff here. So how do I know if I'm crossing the line and, and I'm storing up too much here and not enough in heaven? How do I know? Well, worry is almost like a red light that kind of goes off in our hearts that says, now you've crossed the line. Because there are two things that we worry about. We worry about what people think of us, their approval or lack of approval, and we worry about our treasure here on earth. And when we worry about those things, it's an indicator, okay, now we've gone too far. We've gone beyond just you know, wanting people to like us to needing people to like us. And we've gone beyond, you know, appropriately preparing for the needs of this life to storing up treasure and being afraid of everything in this life and therefore amassing as much as we can. Worry is the indicator. 
that we have crossed the line. Now, beyond that, worry doesn't just indicate that we've crossed the line. It actually drives us in that direction. It's not only an indicator of what we look to for approval and security, it's also a driver of both. What I mean by that is, is as we worry about approval, as we worry about our resources, our money, what happens is we are elevating the status, the stature, the importance of both in our hearts. We are telling our hearts, thought by repetitive thought, worry thought by worry thought, that what people think matters more than what God thinks. And we're telling our hearts that storing up treasure here on earth is a better thing to do, it's safer to do, than storing up treasure in heaven. And we are convincing ourselves not to begin to control the pursuit of approval and control the amassing of treasure here, but to even get more deeply involved in it. So worry doesn't just indicate that we've crossed the line of approval and treasure, but that we are actually advancing our hearts in the wrong direction in these two. You know, we do want to please God, but we can't see God. And so we find ourselves pursuing the approval of other people. And we worry about what we need in this life. And it drives these two forward. So this section about worry is not just another topic on a list of things that Jesus talks about in this Sermon on the Mount. It is that. But I think that this is a key to the entire three chapters. And the reason I say that is because worry trains our heart either to live for the kingdom of this earth, or if we begin to dial worry back, we then are freed up to begin to live for what Jesus referred to as the kingdom that is from heaven. So if, you, if you've been with us this summer or you've caught up on what we've been talking about and you're thinking, I'm not sure where to start on all of what Jesus talks about, I would recommend starting here. Because until you begin to wrestle with and grow in this area of dialing back on the worry, you're going to have a hard time doing the other things that Jesus said. Worry will consume you. Worry is not just a hobby. It is a life-consuming, ever-growing event. It's as we learn to dial down worry that we have the space in our lives to begin to change in the way that Jesus wants us to change. So let me read what Jesus says on the topic of worry. Thankfully, he says so much more than just don't worry. Here's what he says. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the flame, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And that's a lot of input on the topic of worry. So let's unpack this. I want to start just by focusing on the, the three words that Jesus repeats three different times in these verses. The words simply are, do not worry. Now, those are important not just because Jesus doesn't want us to worry, but it implies that it is possible to not worry. Jesus does not command the impossible. He does not say, good luck with this. He says, we can actually do this. What he's saying is, worry really is a choice. Now, if you are a lifelong worrier, it may not feel like a choice because you are so deeply involved in the pattern, but it is a choice. You do not have to worry. Now, that's not how we think, again. To us, worry seems like a logical response to all the scary things that can happen to us. Now, thankfully, Jesus didn't just say, you know, don't worry, be happy. He gave us some very practical advice in these verses. So let's think through the advice of Jesus. The first major piece of advice that Jesus gives us is, as you struggle with worry, remember rather than react. Talks about the importance of remembering. And the reason this is so critical is because worry is a, a fast-moving reaction. It, it, it's a fear reaction. And we can control it, but it's so quick that it almost feels automatic. So one of the ways we dial down worry is we, we build a pattern of remembering rather than reacting when something worrisome occurs in our lives. You know, it's, it's uh, this last Sunday afternoon, um, in the middle of the tropical storm, I got an earthquake alert on my phone. So I downloaded this app on my phone. It's called MyShake. I don't know how many of you have done this. It's the only time it's ever gone off. I've had it, I don't know, two or three years. But several years ago, I heard about um, UC Berkeley had come up with this app tied to all of the sensors they have at the different fault lines. And it's supposed to give us a 20-second to two-minute warning in advance of the shaking. So I thought, that sounds great. Let's do that. Put it on my phone. Like many of the apps I have, I don't ever use it. I forgot all about it until Sunday afternoon. It went off for the first time because of the 5.1 earthquake up in Ventura. Now, it didn't just you know, do that alert beep thing. It did that. But then it shared with me these three words, and I'd forgotten completely about these three words. Let me put them up here. Drop, cover, hold on. When I saw those words, I thought, oh, yeah, I think I've heard those words before. <laughs> but I hadn't thought about this because I can't remember the last time I've felt an earthquake. It's been a while. But this is what you're supposed to do. So this is your public awareness section of the message today. When things start shaking, drop, cover, and hold. Now, what does that mean? Well, drop on the ground so that you can crawl under a table. You know, get, get under, find some cover, you know, the so, most solid cover you can, but the, the closest thing you can find, just get under a table usually, and then hold on to the cover because things are shaking and the, the table's going to move, you're going to move, so find a corner, hold on to it so the cover stays with you. Now, this is not the normal reaction when an earthquake hits. I don't know if you've seen any of the videos of how people reacted to the Ventura earthquake. I saw one of a 
a bar in Ventura, and there were two major responses. One was about half the group reached across the table they were supposed to be getting under and held hands. I don't know why. I guess they thought, you know, we're going to die. Let's, let's do it together. I don't know. But about half the group reached across, held hands. The other half of the group did what most people do in an earthquake. They bolted out the front door. Now, again, in a moment of rational thought, we know what's wrong with that because bricks and things can be falling off buildings, and that's the riskier place to be. So the alert reminded me of what I needed to do. I need to drop, cover, and hold. Now, I was driving, so I didn't do any of that. I just looked around and kept driving because <laughs> I couldn't feel anything. Now, when life shakes, worry is a reaction. And what we need is a counter-reaction plan. We need uh, the ability to remember. Now, I have not developed a worry app, a MyShake worry app. I don't have that. So you're just going to have to come up with memory tools of your own. But as the worry mounts, Jesus calls us to remember. He says, Here, here's a couple things that you, you need to remember when worry starts to take over in your heart, in your mind. First of all, remember your value. Remember how valuable you are. What worry does is worry forgets how valuable we are to God. Because God really is our cover when it comes to worry. He is the one that protects us. And if we think we don't matter to God, then we have rational reason to worry. So we, we need this remembering plan, and we need to first remember our value. If we had any idea how much we matter to God, then worry would be less rational than it appears to be. So how can we remember? Well, Jesus gives us some memory aids, some things that we can look at that are usually pretty much all around us. And he gives us these visual reminders in the form of a series of rhetorical questions. The first question is, the first set of questions is this, is life not more important than food, Jesus asks, and the body more important than clothes? Well, these are rhetorical questions, but let's be sure we're clear on this. Which is more important, life or food? Well, life, of course, is more important. And which is more important, your body or the clothes you're wearing? Well, your, your body is more valuable than the clothes. Food and clothes have value only because of what they support. The food supports life, body, your clothes keep your body warm. So we see people eating because they value their life, and we see them put on coats because they value their bodies. The point that Jesus is saying is this, is you get to see how much I value you. There's some visible indications of that that point to the invisible fact that I value you. Visible action points to invisible value. Let me give you an example of how this works. We do this all, we see this all the time. Two days after my dad's funeral was my, what would have been my parents' 65th wedding anniversary. So most of the family had left. My wife and I were still there. And so I asked my mom uh, the day before, where would dad have taken you on your anniversary? Where would he have taken you if it was just the two of you to celebrate your 65th wedding anniversary. So she told me uh, the place, and so here's a picture of my mom and I outside of the K-12 
Cactus Club, I think it's called. Yeah, Cactus Club in Kelowna, British Columbia. Now, why, why did we go there? Was it because of the salmon? They have great salmon. I enjoyed it. No. We went there because I love my mom. And the thought of her being alone for the first anniversary, the first anniversary of her being alone in you know, almost 65 years, I thought we, we just have to do something that dad might have done. And that's, that happens throughout life. You, you can't see with your eyes things like love and how valuable people are to you. So you look at the things they do to give evidence of the thing that you can't see. And God says, that's the way it is with me. You can't just look and see how valuable you are to me. You need to look at some visible evidence of what I do that supports the truth of how loved you are, how valuable you are. So what visible proof is there of God's, God's deep love for us? Well, we think it should be the circumstances. You know, if God really loves us, then my life would be nothing but great experiences. But to be light in this world, it often requires darkness. So Jesus says, don't look at how amazing your life is right now. He gives us something else to look at. He says, I want you to look at the birds, and I want you to look at the flowers. Then he asks another comparison question. Are you not much more valuable than the birds and the flowers? So let's look at the birds. This isn't just an illustration. Jesus is saying, look at the birds. They don't need to become a full-fledged bird watcher. But if you're worrying, take a walk, listen, look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Let that sink in. Then let's take a look at the flowers. See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. What's the point that Jesus is making? He's saying if food is the visible indicator of how important our life is, that's the point he made earlier, and clothes are the visible indicator of how important our bodies are, then look at how well God provides food for the birds and clothes for the flowers. You know, actually go for a walk. Listen to the birds. Do they sound worried? I don't know how to tell what a bird worried bird would sound like. They sound noisy sometimes, but they're not worried. They should be worried because they've got nothing stored up, but they're not. And then look at the flowers. They don't seem concerned about their next outfit. And then ask this final comparison question. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, Jesus says, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? So now that we've looked at the birds and we've looked at the flowers, we'll never worry again, right? No. It's, a, it's an opportunity to remember how valuable we are when we look at how God takes care of birds and flowers. But it's not automatically going to remove the worry. Why? Jesus makes this little comment that's so important. You of little faith. We not only have to remember how valuable we are to God, we have to trust that God will take care of us. That it's not just a flower bird thing, but he will take care of us. And that brings us to the second part of the remembering 
challenge, and that is we have to remember God's power. We remember how valuable we are, and then we remember how powerful God is. Worry really is a power question. That's what worry is. The reason you worry is because you are under the illusion that you have the power to make your future safer. That's why I worry. That's why you worry. Why would we waste our time worrying and all of that energy and all that emotion if we didn't think it made our life safer? We think it makes our life safer. And Jesus is making the point it does not. And he does, he makes this point in a simple little statement when he says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Nobody can do that. You know, we have more power than the birds do and the plants do. And that power makes us think that we have control over our future when we don't. You know, the birds, they have reason to worry, but they're not smart enough to worry. You know, birds and plants don't know. You know, I'm worrying about this strange sound in my car. Birds aren't smart enough to invent cars, and so they don't have to worry about strange sounds in their cars. I've got this strange pain that started just two weeks ago, and I'm concerned about what it is. I'm not concerned enough to go to the doctor yet, but I'm, you know, I'm concerned. <laughs> Birds don't do that kind of stuff. Flowers definitely don't do that kind of stuff. You know, even when there was this virus that we called the bird flu, the birds didn't even know. They had no clue. They, they, they weren't talking about, wait, there's a flu from us? What's going to happen to us? They had no idea. We did. They did. So here's the challenge of the, the capacities that God has given us. He's given us minds and the ability to plan into the future. You know, we can study things and learn about diseases and come up with cures and invent cars. But the problem is, while we are smart enough to influence the future, we are not smart enough to control it. You know, we could find a cure for a number of different diseases and still die of a car accident that afternoon or of a heart attack or any number of things. So for all of our brilliance, we cannot alter our time on this earth by even one hour. So we face a choice that the birds and the flowers don't face. That is, will we trust in God's power or not? So that's what we need to remember. Now, the second major thing Jesus says, he, he gives us something to get our mind wrapped around. Remember this. If you need to go for a walk to look at birds, fine. Now there's something for us to do. Seek rather than run. This is the, the panic part of worry, the reaction part. It's not enough. To change our thoughts, we need to change what we do. Matthew 6, 31 through 33, those, this part of it says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So in the face of danger, we run, like half the, the bar in Ventura. We run. Things start shaking, we run. But Jesus says it is the pagans that run. Now, the word pagan sounds like a, a put-down. But in the New Testament, the word pagan simply meant 
without God. Someone for whom God is not a factor. And when God is not involved and God is not a factor, then it really is all up to you. And then life is scary, and you need to spend all of your time scrambling, running. But if God has a plan, if he really is powerful, then we need to seek him and his plan and then figure out what our part is in that plan. So under the seeking, there's a couple of ideas. First, we need to seek God first. Seeking requires effort. It's not a hobby. It's a commitment. We must seek God first, Jesus says, as a matter of first priority. Because if we do it second or third or eventually, we just don't get around to it. The reason is because trouble demands our attention. God never demands our attention. Trouble will always find us. You don't have to go looking for trouble. It'll find you. But if you're going to find God, you're going to have to seek him. He will not, he will pursue you, but he won't impose himself on you. Now, seekers set their sights on a goal, and they keep pursuing it. That's what seeking is. And it usually advances in a couple of ways. First, there's some things you have to learn about what you're going to seek, and then some things you have to do to seek it. So about a decade ago, I decided, you know what? I want to get back into road biking. Well, that required me to do some learning. What kind of bikes might I like and what's out there right now? And then I had to get on the bike and do that. If I'm going to seek that even as a hobby, I'm going to have to learn some things and I'm going to do some things. And that's what Jesus says here. You're going to have to seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness. God's kingdom is the stuff you have to learn. God's righteousness is the stuff you have to do if you're going to seek God. God's kingdom literally is God's agenda. What does God think about this? What does the king think about this area of life? That's found in the pages of the Bible. And so you're going to have to read it, and you're going to have to listen to what God says, both individually and in groups, if you're going to learn about what it is you're going to seek. If you're not learning, you're not seeking. And then God's righteousness. Right the, the, is the root of the word righteous, and this just simply is what God says is right. This means we are trying to do more and more of what God says is right. Now, if you do wrong then your top priority is to ask for forgiveness and get back on track. That's a major part of seeking. It's just, oh, I messed up, get back on track. And you keep seeking. What worry does is worry gets us going in circles. Worry is like this, a downward spiral. And Jesus says, if you want to break that, you're going to have to start seeking me, my kingdom, and my righteousness and get moving in the right direction. Then the second thing we seek is we seek today's trouble. So some people read, you know, if we, we seek God first, all these things will be given to us as well, and they think, so Amazon's just going to deliver stuff. You know, everything's just going to show up if I seek God. No, what it's saying is God will get involved. In the time that you spend to seek God, you're not seeking the needs that you have, but you're getting the help of the creator of the universe in all that you need. So you make him a priority, and everything else is secondary. When you do that, God gets involved. But that doesn't mean you get to kick back and watch God do it all. 
Jesus says, each day will have enough trouble of its own. In other words, there's still going to be trouble. There's still going to be problems to be solved and work to be done. God's involved in a couple of ways, in helping you get what you need, but he's also involved in saying enough to trouble. That's what this means. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The New Testament was written in Greek, and this is, a, is one word here. The word enough literally means barrier. Each day has a trouble barrier that is attached to that day. This is an amazing truth. Every day, God constructs an invisible barrier around your life that keeps most of the trouble from getting into your life. Some of it gets through, but only what God says should get through. And it's a customized barrier that fits with his customized growth plan for you. God knows exactly how much trouble you need, how much trouble you can handle, and he puts a barrier around your day that limits it to that. When we worry, what we do is we breach the barrier of today and we borrow trouble from another day. If we decide to do that, we're on our own. God puts up the trouble barrier. If we want to borrow trouble from next week or next year, God says, well, that's on you. I'm not going to help you with that. I'll help you with today's trouble. One of the most helpful things for me in worry is just to ask the question, is there something I need to do about this today? And if there isn't, then I pray about it and move on as best I can. We seek today's trouble. Worry is the emotional alarm that lets us know we've crossed the daily trouble limit. We've breached the barrier. Now, we can't just stop worrying. It's too powerful just to say, you know what? Starting this afternoon, I'm no longer going to worry. Worry must be replaced. It cannot be eliminated. So let me throw up the earthquake reminder. I think this is a great set of images for worry. Drop. When you worry, just drop to the ground. I mean, you might actually want to physically do that. I found if, if there's a moment and a chance where I can actually get on my knees, it really helps when my body is telling my brain, this is what we're doing now. So you might try that. If not, just stop in that moment and pray and say, God, I'm getting freaked out now. I'm, I'm worrying. Help me. I don't want to spiral into this. Drop to the ground in prayer. And then find cover. Remember the truth. If you need to listen to the birds, if you need to go look at some flowers, remember God's value for you. And then hold on. In other words, seek. Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Rather than just say, I want to stop worrying, saying, God, what do you want me to do now? Is there something that I can do now that's good and that's right? And then do that. So drop, cover, and hold on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your instruction to us. Jesus, we thank you for your words that are so helpful. And we know that worry is just a major um, waste of our time. It's a major drain of our energy, of our thoughts thoughts and energy and time that could be spent 
towards seeking you and your kingdom and what you want us to do. So I ask that you would help us when things start shaking to remember, to remember how much you love us, how powerful you are, and therefore how little we really need to worry about. And then help us to seek after you, to, to seek your kingdom, your righteousness, and then to limit our work to the trouble that is today's and not borrow from tomorrow's. We are a culture of worry, and we need your help to turn that tide. Help us, we pray, and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.